teens for your positive attitude. I've been involved with the teen work a long time, and uh, you, you, you look at uh, generation after generation, you think, wow, this is an outstanding generation. And I think this is as good as it gets, you know, and our hope always is the next generation will get more energy, more fire from the last generation, maybe miss a few of the potholes that the former generations hit into, stepped into, the trouble that they got themselves into. We want everybody to do better than we did. And so that's one of the things in Christ is we're always encouraging everybody to do better. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Train reliable people so they'll be qualified to teach others. And our task in Christianity is we want others to do better than us. We want others to excel like Scott had talking, talked about it this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 there, that, uh, that we're not racing against one another. We become all things to all men in order to win some. We want others to do really well in Christ to get the glory and be with Him because it's unlimited what He's got uh, in the future for us all to obtain. <clears throat> My voice is a little rough today. I explained yesterday to the guys, uh, we had to go the same lesson four times, and by lesson two, I didn't know if I was going to make it. And then the day before, I had written, I had ridden, I had gone for a ride with Dan Morgan, one of the shepherds here in a four-wheeler, and I spent a lot of time screaming then, because he took me places I never thought I would ever go. And so my voice has had a couple of hard days of running, but uh, I think we'll be able to get through this. So, uh, move on. on. Oh, let's talk a bit about Yellowstone Bible Camp before we get going to our topic today. I uh, encourage all you young people to take any advantage of any opportunity you have to get together with people of like mind like this to really uh, sharpen your spiritual instincts. You know, there's football camps. There's all kinds of camps you can put yourself into. And they can be profitable, but this is something that's dealing with eternal factors. And so, getting yourself to Yellowstone Bible Camp, surrounding yourself with good people at Yellowstone Bible Camp. I remember I was going to a teen camp in New Mexico when I was a kid, and I got in with some of the wrong guys. And fortunately, somebody said to me, Terry, you're not hanging out with the guys that's going to make you better in Christ. And I was thankful somebody did that. It was, you know, it was kind of fun hanging out with the rowdy guys for a few moments there because there's no rules, you know. The kind of the man spirit kind of boils out. But find people that really love the Lord and hang out with those kinds of people and make advantage of these youth rallies and, and your youth groups. And in your youth groups, you, you know, you blaze the trail. We're all going through this wilderness together. And it's important we need one another to always encourage each other. Like we talked about in the survival class, you know, when somebody's riding beside me, they're the co-pilot, and they see something, hey, touch me on the shoulder, say, Terry, hey, pay attention to this. If I'm making a mistake, lovingly touch each other. Let's say, this is the direction we're going, and we're going there together. Now, the topic we're looking at today, the royal priesthood, the people of God, is, is uh, that's important for us to grasp. Man, Dan, thanks for all the technology. He's been, uh, he would work two days to get my stuff together. I showed up with Apple. This is not Apple World on this thing. Dan did some magic with other brothers. This passage, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belong to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, look at that, once you were not a people, but now you are a people, the people of God. Once you, were not, you, once you had not mercy, but now you have mercy. 
And so that's a passage that we should circle in our Bibles. You know, it says, it says something. It's kind of like obscure language. You know, what's it talking about? You were not a people. Now you are a people. You're the people of God. What does that mean? We can understand we were called out of darkness. You know, we should understand that Colossians chapter 1. We're a part of one king to another. We're playing for God's team or we're playing for Satan's team. Bottom line in life, every one of us has signed up for one of those teams. The words we say, the things we do, all reflect whose team we're playing on. We understand those. We need to grasp that, that attitude more there. But we are a royal priesthood, that we are a kingdom. That is saying things the world can't even begin to understand. And it's things for us, it's a challenge for us to totally grasp what God is talking about and what He has done for us. Because what we're talking about here is the whole point of all of this thing that we're involved with. The whole point of creation, the whole point of this universe focuses on this. Our relationship with God. And there has never been and there will never be anything like this. Where God breathed His Spirit into man, put Him here, gave Him the option to decide whose kingdom He's going to serve, gave Him the option to be a Son of God, co-heirs eternal life with Jesus Christ His Son, that would only come through the death and the sacrifice of His Son. That moves us from a dimension of an animal down here into a realm of a special relationship with God that we don't even know what He's talking about there. And it's by faith we will make that decision to live and be more than animals on this planet. Because young people, you're surrounded by people in your daily lives who will use the S word and the F word and they will just do whatever they want to gain attention for the moment, gain glory for themselves and pleasure. And that's not what God called us to be. He called us to be special. And there's probably young people here today who are in the middle of that battle. The S word and the F word are part of your vocabulary. And you're playing for the other team. It's important. Hey, all of us who grew up had to make some choices. We all just had to decide who we're going to be and who we're going to play for. You know, in the sports world, we always, everybody's always picking, which team are you a fan of? And people switch teams, but there's one team that's the eternal team, and we'd better decide now to be with Christ, to be a Christian, and to be all that He called us to be. Because He can take us or lose us. I mean, He gave His life for us. He'll go on without us if we decide to play for Satan. But there are people surrounding us who are counting us to be the light of the world, and that's what He's called us to be. And so that's a hard thing for us to understand. Only spiritual people will grasp that. Ooh, hitting the wrong button. There we go. That's where we arrived, right? I got to step by a little window over here. What's this thing? It was three weeks old here a minute ago. Man, this little baby was just like, whoa, you know? Just, that's where we're at. This baby, does that baby know that it's a baby? Or does it think it's a dog? It has no clue what it is, you know? He's just perched up there. He doesn't know what he is, you know? On the far side, this old little guy here with the rabbits over there, he's looking at those rabbits. Does he think he knows the difference between himself and a rabbit? You know, he's trying to figure out if he just arrived on the planet. I can remember when I was a kid, early days on the farm, standing in front of cows, and I'd think about that with the cows and the horses, and I'd think, you are really a human. And it's like, am I really? I remember pinching myself, 
you're a human, you're not covered with fur. Yeah, why am I a human? And he's a cow or he's a horse. And it's just that grasp that I'm a human and I'm not one of those guys. They have their purpose and I have my purpose. And trying to figure out where my purpose was, us figuring out where our purpose is a challenge. And it's scary. You know, we all have had moments like that, not with giraffes. But we've all had moments where, you know, hey, you know, they're with us. And no, they're not with us at all. They are different than us, you know. And our survival talk, some of the groups we talked about, grizzly bears and this and that, they are not with us. They cannot relate to us. They are not, they are not our fuzzy friends. I had a friend who died because he thought he could relate to grizzly bears. And he couldn't. He died because of that. And so it's important for us to understand we are unique. We are something different. So what does it mean to be a people when, and then not to be a people? Not to be a people and then to be a people. What does that mean? And what does it mean to be a royal priesthood? Who are Christians? And who are we as Christians? What is it to be a Christian? You know, what are priests? We think, what's a priest? You know, and we see in other religious worlds, they're the guys that wear the black outfits. They do that. But what's a priest? We see in the Old Testament, they wear outfits like this. But what's a royal priest? And a people, when we're not a people... And then we, we get into this situation, we look in Peter and we say, you know, this guy finally realizes I'm a people, but then, no, you're not a people. So what does all of that mean? And when am I a people? What am I people? Yeah, what is all that about? Some of you are familiar with the Coast Guard swimmers. Coast Guard swimmers, you know, I should raise hands, guys. How many of you guys like to be a Coast Guard swimmer? Sure. Boy, not many hands. Okay, Chris is going to go. Okay, a few guys say it. Okay. Just think what you get when you become a Coast Guard swimmer. Get a fancy outfit, all the girls think you're cool. That's nice, huh? Okay, you get flippers and you get fins, you get a mask. Being a Coast Guard swimmer is wonderful. You get to ride and things like that. Guys, you want to ride in something like that? Hey, sure. Those guys are great, you know. They get to do all kinds of, they all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. This is a little video, but we aren't going to watch it that's out of a movie called The Guardian, and this is not the guy that's talking, but another guy's talking, and he's talking to a class of rescue swimmers, and he's explaining to them what it takes to become a rescue swimmer. And he says, to be a rescue swimmer, this is what it's going to take. It's going to take, uh, it's going to take, a, it's going to take a lot of sacrifice, basically. And he said, and when the Navy's afraid to go out, we go out. When storms are coming in and everybody's shut in, we go out. He said, when the Holy Lord Himself comes down and rips buildings off of their foundations, we go out. And that's what Coast Guard swimmers do. And he said, the results of it is a lonely life. You may die alone in a cold, alone in cold in some isolated ocean by being a rescue swimmer. And then he tells them, Basically, most of you guys aren't going to survive the class. Most of you guys are not going to make it. And so, he says, he welcomes them to the class and they go on with the rest of the story along with that. One of the things that happens with search and rescue, and I talked a little bit about the, you know, rescues yesterday, not getting lost. It's interesting, we have an interview process to become a part of search and rescue. They go through a background check, they fill out an interview thing, they go through interviews, and it's interesting, of those who apply for search and rescue and are approved, who get through the interview thing, probably 25% of them ever become rescue people. And it's not that they didn't have the 
capability. And it wasn't they had, didn't have the skills. Some of them were much better physical shape than I am and do a lot more than I could, but they just didn't have it in here. Okay? Now, they, would want, they wanted the fancy gear. You know, they wanted the badge. They wanted the hat. They wanted to be called search and rescue, but they didn't have the heart to do it. And that's what God is looking for in us, is to have the heart to become the people He called us to be. To be someone that's separate and apart from the rest of the world. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. You know, and the guys He chose, He certainly chose. He knew where those guys were going. He knew where Judas was going to go before Judas knew where he was going to go. Judas made his own choice. It wasn't chosen by the Lord. Judas made his choice. But Jesus understands very clearly. He'll call everybody. But like Judas, we can make the bad call. Or like Peter, we can make the right call and we're going to stumble on the way, but we'll keep getting up and we'll move our move closer to Jesus all the time. And that's certainly who we should be. The parable of the sower really gives a description about the winners and losers in Christianity. And you know this parable. The sower went out to sow and he threw his seed out. Some of it landed on roads. Some of it landed on soil with rocks. Some of it landed among the thistles and thorns. And some of it landed on good soil. And the disciples ask, what does all this mean? And so Jesus breaks it down. The seed that lands on the road is the seed like hard hearts. The Word of God hits them and it just bounces off, skids off. Birds come in. Satan comes in snags it, flies away, never begins to grow. Then there's the seed which lands on the soil that's got big rocks or stones, and it grows. It's really excited, really excited. And that's people who are really excited about Christianity. They jump in, yeah, we're going to go it. And probably that's kind of the youth rally sort of thing. Yeah, let's go it, let's do it. But then when it says persecution comes because of the Word of God, you know, it gets down to really doing it and putting our feet to the metal to, you know, go for it then it's, that's not it. And they're, they're going to walk off. They're going to get up and walk out. And then there's those people, okay, those people who will land in among the thorns, and they'll grow and they'll be there, but they'll never become the potential. And there's a lot of Christians who live in that world because they're so busy with the world, the cares of the world, and the wealth of this world, and so busy with all the other things. They never become a really dedicated, viable player in the kingdom of God. And that's not good. Just existing in the church. It's a miserable place to be. Attend a little, give a little, play a little, but mostly we're, we're so busy in the world, this is not our home among God's people. What kind of influence we have then is very little. And then there's that soil, which is the good soil, and the seed that lands the, among the good soil, you remember, it produces how much? 30, 60, 100 times. And that's who we need to be as the people of God. The chosen people the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the people that belong to God. And that is that 30, 60, 100% people that really see this is what it's all about. This is where it's at. That's who I want to be. I want to be a player for the Lord. And so in the Old Testament, let's look at this priesthood concept there and we'll move it to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we didn't get to be the priests. If we lived in the Old Testament, we wouldn't even be, quote, people. Now, in the nation of Israel, in the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Levi, that's where the priest was. And there was one God, but all the priests were of the tribe of Levi. He had to be sons descendants of Levi, one of the twelve sons of Jacob. And so there was a high priest, and the high priest was the guy, you remember, who would go into the temple once a year into the holy of holy places, 
And there he would make atonement sacrifices for the people. And he had to do that like at the risk of his own life. That was the guy that had a relationship with God for the atonement of sins until the death of Jesus would take care of all those sins. Then there was the priest who did the daily sort of things. And they dealt with the people. And they would make the sacrifices. And so here we were, if we were, and we're not the people, but if we were the people in the Old Testament, Israel, we would go to the priest with our sacrifice. The priest would make the sacrifice to the Lord. The high priest would make intercession for us. And so it was kind of like standing back, okay? It's just kind of a situation like when our singing this morning, and the singing happened is, if Austin stood up here and he sang and we just watched him, okay, that was kind of what it was. Everybody watched, the priest did the thing. We are all singers because we're all priests of the king. We're all participants. We're commanders to sing. We all participate. And so that's where we're at today. And all the non-tribes, all these other people are on the outside. And so we've got a picture of the tabernacle, the temple, same thing. The people are on the outside. The priests would do their thing on the inside. The high priest would go inside the building there, the holy place, the holy of holy places. You and I never had access to that. We would talk to some priest who had no idea where we were at. We would, our heart would be breaking. We'd go and say, this is where it's at. He'd say, uh-huh. Because he had no clue where it was at. Because he couldn't understand. He had not been where we were at. But in the New Testament priesthood, we have God the Father of Israel, which in the New Testament is the church. We are the children of God. We are the people who are the circumcised, not because of something that happened in our flesh, but because of what happens in our hearts, Colossians chapter 2 at baptism. And chapter 2 of Acts, uh, Philippians chapter 2, at baptism, God circumcises our hearts, and then we are His. We belong to His, Him. And so Jesus in the New Testament is the high priest. And He is not a high priest who cannot understand us, because as Chris noted last night in his Devo talk, He has suffered in everything as we have. He went through the gauntlet. He did everything. He understands the pain of problems. He understands what it is like to have a friend who doesn't stand with you. He's, he knew what it was like to have a family member who told him, you're a joke trying to be the, this whoever religious thing you are. And I remember in Jesus in His world, when Jesus drew the line and other people were saying ugly words, comments they shouldn't have made, and Jesus walked out or said, I'm not going there, or that's not right. Can you imagine the pressure He went through? He understands exactly where we're at. He understood parent problems as far as the sibling problems and His mom and dad and all of that. He's been through all of those things, school problems, you name it, He was there. And so we as Christians are the royal priesthood and we communicate with Him, our high priest, we pray through Him, and He says, well, we pray through Him, He will deliver in His name. And so we've got this special connection. We are priests. We are priests talking to the high priest who is God, who makes intercession to us, to His Father who is God. That is beyond this world. We're talking about stuff that's beyond rocket science. Okay, we're talking about stuff in the spiritual realm that in the first chapter of Peter it says that the angels look at this story of salvation and the Greek guys say it's like the angels are standing back and they walk over this thing of salvation. They walk over it and they just they look over in it and it's like, and they're, and they're just looking like, what is this all about? It's just like, 
It's beyond their comprehension what God is doing with us. And they're looking at it. Have you seen animals? We've seen animals that walk up to something and they look up and they look like that. They're like, what is that? You know, the animals are trying to... It's, they're trying to figure out what's happening. And these angels, this is in another dimension here. And in Colossians chapter 1, what Jesus is doing with us and with the church is stuff that is, that is echoing out into other dimensions. Like Scott mentioned, those principalities and those worlds out there. There's so many layers and other layers out there that we can't see with the senses that we got or feel with the senses we've got. And they're looking at this thing saying, Wow! God created this thing and, then, and, the, and the special thing, it's not, it's not this amazing creation, this balanced earth and all that happens and all the planets and everything. It's not that. It's man. And that man will live for something beyond this world. That these, these people, these creatures, most of them will just act like animals, but there are those who will commit themselves to something beyond this world, something they cannot taste or touch or see, because they can see it in their mind and their hearts. And that's what God is calling us to be. And that's the relationship that we have with Him. Those folks in the Old Testament, they, they didn't have what we've got. You know, Abraham was a man of faith, and Scripture says he's the father of the faithful. He became the father of the Hebrews, the Israelites, and the Jews. And they had something special. Because God reached down with Abraham and He said, I'm going to make you into a special nation, and I'm going to bless everybody in the world because of your seed. And that's talking about Jesus Christ. And God took care of Abraham, and He took care of His descendants. But it was a rough road. And He didn't forget about everybody else. There was other prophets out there, but our Bible story tells about Abraham and his descendants because that's the genealogy of getting Jesus into this planet. And in various times along the way, there'd be another prophet of God who would jump in from another nation and have an interaction there. But the story focuses on Abraham and his descendants. And it was a rough road, Jacob and Esau. And you got these two brothers there, okay? And I remember with my brother, my brother and I, we came out born different directions. And I kind of always thought, I'm kind of the Esau guy, and my brother's the Jacob guy. Because my brother, he liked cooking. I never learned how to cook. My brother, he didn't like hunting. That's all I want to do. Okay? So I figured, I'm, I'm kind of the Esau guy. I'm the kind of Jacob guy. And we went totally direct, different directions as far as those kind of things are concerned. But these guys went totally different directions as far as spiritual things are concerned. Because you remember, Esau was so enthralled in this world stuff that he sold his birthright. He said, I don't care about that kind of stuff. You know, i got to eat now. I'll be dead tomorrow. Why worry about tomorrow? Hey, it's about today right now. And that's what he did. And he sold his birthright, Dad. And I'm thankful my brother and I both realized that our birthright, our real birthright, is not the things we do with our hands, the cooking or chasing animals. The birthright we got is our relationship with God. And I'm thankful for my brother for that. Joseph and his brothers, how many of those guys had the faith to do what was right? You know, it's kind of iffy with some of them. Some of them were way on the other side playing for the other team. And here's this guy named Joseph, who's a guy who will endure unbelievable things, sold into slavery by his brothers. They would have left him for dead. Sold into slavery, ends up in somebody's house. Some woman lies about him. He's good looking. Man, he had it made. You know, he could have slept with her, everything. He said, I'm not going to do that kind of sin. The world would have just jumped in, done whatever. I'm not. He runs for his life. 
she rips clothes off him and he runs for his life. He's thrown in jail again because of it. Is that right? It's not right, but life's not fair. But he did what was right and God blessed him and God used him then to raise to a position of power and then in that position, then he was able to save Israel and the world from a big famine that was coming. And so, this is the battle. You know, there's the winners, there's losers. There's people on the way that I'm not going to stay in the game. We must choose to be in the game. We each must make that decision ourselves. In the Old Testament story all the way through there, was it easy for Moses? Man, you know, from the very beginning, you know, he got raised in Pharaoh's household. That's pretty good. He had the world by tail. He could drive the fastest chariots. He could have the fastest horses. He could have the, the best of you name it. It was all right there for him. But he realized, this is short time stuff. God wants me here. He's got me a purpose. And I'm going to lead these people out of slavery. But that wasn't God's plan at that point in time. And so he makes his move, you remember. And the Hebrew people fight against him. He has to run from his, for his life. We get away from Pharaoh. He spends 40 years in the desert. Then when he's 80 years old, God taps him on the shoulder at the burning bush and says, okay, let's go do this. And now he's ready. I mean, God's got him ready. He doesn't feel like he's ready. And he comes in with excuses. I can't do that. I can't talk, you know. Who am I to go see Pharaoh? I don't know who you are. And this and all this stuff. And God says, you've got to go. You've got to get it together. And it was a tough time. On the way to getting it together, you remember he had failed to circumcise his son. And here you've got the servant of God. On the mission of God, he failed to circumcise his son. And God stops him and is about ready to kill him when his wife circumcises the son. That's a, it's a, that's a goer, goer stop thing there. It's like baptism in the New Testament. It's a parallel there. You're in or you're out at circumcision in the Old Testament. And Moses on this trip almost dies because he hadn't done what God said to do. His wife will circumcise the child. She's upset about the whole situation. God pulls back his anger and he moves on. He's able to do it and continue on. And then the struggles that he had along the way, people are always saying, we're going to take you out and kill you. Look what you did. You got us in this mess. You know, he goes up against the sea, Pharaoh and all of his army, and the world is basically there. Now what are you going to do? And God says, just, hey, do this, do that. The sea opened up, went through, Pharaoh was beat. But the story wasn't over. He had just keep sharpening himself, moving forward. He'll make mistakes, but he keeps moving forward. And because of that... He's one of the great guys that we look at and say, yeah, that's what it's about. He's never perfect, but he did the best he could in that situation. Samson, you know, this is that guy, he looks like Austin Martinich. You know, look how big he is, you know. Doesn't look like Austin. That's not a good picture of Samson. I think Samson looked more like me, skinny, not built bulk like Austin. I think because it was God that made him powerful, isn't it? God is the one that empowered him. And so when he trusted in God, he had that strength. And God was the same thing. Saul and David, great stories. Saul was the great king of Israel. Things were going really... There was the number one pick of God. But you remember what happened? He got pride and he got thinking about himself. And yeah, I'm doing great. And then when his ego got out of control, he lost control. And then David is number one right-hand man. He becomes jealous of him and tries to kill him. And David is a super, super king. But he has struggles of being a human also. You know, and he lost track sometimes and he brought a lot of pain into his life. But the big point in all this is there's winners and losers. It was a physical kingdom they were dealing with, but it had spiritual implications into an eternal kingdom. And when Jesus finally ends up talking to the religious leaders of his day 
and he's talking to Pilate at his trial. You remember they're asking him, are you the king? And Jesus said, yeah, I'm the king. That's why I was born. Now Pharaoh realizes, Pharaoh realizes that Jesus is not a threat. He asked him about truth. You know, Jesus said, anybody on the side of truth stand with him? And Pharaoh says, what is truth? And the truth, bottom line, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for us. And we've got to believe that with all of our heart, our soul, our mind. We need to subscribe, but not just say it. And even if the person next to us said, yeah, I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind, and they're not doing it, that's their business. I will choose to do right. I will stand alone like Joseph, or I'll stand alone like Moses, or I will do whatever. I will follow Jesus. I will choose to do right because He is with me. And so Nicodemus, same scene. Guy's an expert. Shows up with Jesus in the middle of the night and he says, he says uh, how do we enter the kingdom of God? Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus, he says, that didn't make any sense. Here, I'm an old guy. Am I going to enter my mother's womb a second time and then I'm going to be born? That doesn't make any sense. And Jesus said, you're a teacher, you're a teacher of the law and you don't understand these things. But unless you're born of the water... And of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so parallel passages in Peter and James and all that outlines that to be born of the Spirit is to be born of the Word of God. That we're called by the Word of God. And to be born of the water is to be born again, buried with Christ by baptism into His death, and then we're raised to live a new life, covered with His blood, living life with His purpose. Well, He gives us different tools. He gives us abilities and talents. He gives us individual lives. But as Scott noted, these guys noted, we use our lives in His service to be the light wherever He is at. The lady at the well, how many times had she messed up? I always lose track. Was it five times or seven times she'd been married? Jesus asked her, you know, are you married? She says, no, I'm not. He says, well, you're right. You've been married and divorced. You've had this many husbands. I always forget how many, and the guy you're living with today, is it five? The guy you're living with today is not your husband. And she tries to change the subject and talks about this and that, and she talks about, and he says, true worshipers will worship him in spirit and truth. And she realizes, you're the guy. You're the guy. I can't believe you're talking to me because of the attitude. I'm a woman, I'm a Samaritan, I'm a nobody, I'm not a people, and you're talking to me, and you're talking to me about eternal life. You're talking about drinking from something that I'll be full and I'll never be thirsty again. And she goes into the town, she brings everybody back and says, hey, I found the guy. This is the prophet, Deuteronomy 18. This is the one we've been waiting for. He is the guy. And that's Jesus Christ. And so on Pentecost, everybody starts figuring it out. The Holy Spirit comes, tells them that day, Jesus is the King. Jesus came by God's purpose to live and to be put to death at the hands of evil men. To fulfill all of these prophecies in the past, He is now King. He doesn't want to reign over Montana or Mongolia. He wants to reign over the hearts of everybody in Montana and Mongolia and every other state and every other country in the world. That's His purpose. He uses nations to accomplish His will. But the nation, that kingdom that will endure forever is the kingdom of heaven. And on Pentecost, people start understanding that. There's a phrase that the apostles will say that salvation will be to you and those who are far off. And the Spirit's leading them through that, but they'll not understand that until maybe ten years later when Peter will have that vision, you remember, that this big sheet comes down from heaven and all these unclean animals are on it. Three times God will say, kill and eat. Peter will say, I've never eaten anything unclean. I don't eat that stuff. And God says, don't call anything unclean that I call clean. 
And then somebody knocks on his door and he goes to the house of Cornelius and then he realizes it's just not Israel. It's all of these other people also belong to God. They were not even people. They don't even qualify. In Jesus' day, the attitude of the religious leaders was, yeah, we are God's people. We, the Jews, are the saved. We are the royal people of God. And all of these Gentiles, all you guys, the only reason you exist is to fuel the fires of hell. You have no purpose in life. And sadly, that was the Jewish leader's attitude. But Jesus came and He opened the kingdom to the Gentiles as well. That's us. It was to the Jew and the Gentiles. And then we had an option to become a people when we were not a people. We had the option to become a kingdom of priests. Revelation 1, verse 6. We had the ability to become something really special. Sons of God. Co-heirs of eternal life with Jesus Christ. Those guys in the Old Testament, they had genealogy where they were just born Jews. They woke up one day... You know, a little kid hanging out, all they were doing, out chasing the animals, doing whatever. Then they, you know, got age 12 or so and they started figuring out, yeah, we're, yeah, we're God's people. Oh yeah. You know, we're, we're God's people. We're in, they're out. We're the ones. It's all about us. And it wasn't something that came from the inside outward. It was something that was on the outside. Yeah, we're here. I was born in Montana. Or I was born in Texas. Yeah. I'm a Montana because I was born in Texas. I'm Montana or born in Texas. That kind of a thing. That's where they are at. Sometimes in the church we kind of we just we're born, we arrive in it, and we just that's kind of it is. We can't accept that. We've got to take it as our own and believe in it and see it for all that it is, and say thank God that I was born where I was at. That my parents have led me this direction. They're not perfect. None of us are. Nobody is. But thank God they are trying the best they can to lead me the right way and become a part of that kingdom of God. And so we are the people, we are the people who are not a people. The Gentile folks who then submitted and became the children of God. You know, all these things mean different things to different people here. The far left-hand side there, that's the royalty of England. Is that important to people from England? Is it important to people of the UK? That's the United Kingdom. And the United Kingdom is England and Canada and Australia and New Zealand. All of those, that's how you refer to that as the United Kingdom. And they're all independent, but they're all related because Great Britain, the United Kingdom used to control all of them. And the king is important to them. And some here who have English backgrounds kind of feel a little bit of how important the king and the queen is in your heritage. You know, the royal family has kind of become a mess now these days because of some family problems, this and that. But a lot of ladies really like the, the royal weddings. And my wife, if there's the royal wedding going, it's like, it's like, oh, it's a royal wedding! You girls watch those things? It's an older generation who felt that. They would watch the royal wedding and the prince. It kind of all left with princess die. Things kind of went sad, you know, and that's, a, that's been some years ago. She was a princess and it, things didn't turn out princess-like and she died in a tragic way. And so, but the royal family was, this is it. They have no power, just a figurehead from the past, but they take pride. We are the United Kingdom. Now, in the United States, we elect our presidents and we're pretty hard on them. And some of those guys are pretty hard on us. And these are the guys at the bottom left-hand side there. And so, 
Take them or leave them, you know. Respect them when they were their leaders, and certainly today. As Christians, we respect our leaders. But that's who they are, but they're not the same. But you look at that flag on the right side there, and this is not political, but what does that mean to you? Some people, they burn it. They don't care anything about that flag. It means nothing to them. Some of our leaders, it means nothing to them. Okay, They don't care what the, the red on those stripes mean. They don't care that our boys went overseas in World War I and World War II and a lot of our young men are di- died over there to keep Adolf Hitler from killing more Jews in most of, most of Europe. They don't really care what happened then. And so that red on that flag and those stars of those 50 states, take it or leave it. You know, they, they, but we're, they, and they're going to fight for their, their world and it doesn't mean anything. They don't appreciate what they have living in the land of peace that we have. You know, and so we got border problems today, and it's not people trying to escape America, it's people trying to get in America. And the people that are complaining about America, you don't try to see them trying to escape from America. And I'm just talking about heart attitudes here. Heart attitudes. That bottom flag, what does that mean to you? People who are born in that state, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of people who are born in that state. Okay, raise your hand if you're born in that state. Are there some in here? There are some of us. Yeah, ooh. Was that good or bad? When I was born in... There's some that are reluctantly hold their hands now. But I was born in the panhandle of Texas. And it was so flat, you know, you could see the farm I was on, town was six miles away, Spearman, and then there was another town 13 miles on beyond that named Gruber. And on a clear day, you could see Spearman, you could see Gruber. That's how flat it was. It was just flat, Okay. And there was very little trees, and it was this and that. But man, we were taught from the time we were young, thank God that we're from Texas. And there was nothing there but mosquitoes, you know, and cows, really, at that point. And it was like, and I can remember thinking, boy, I could have been born in Oklahoma. That was just across the line there. And just, the, I just feel, I feel the sweat still, because as much you were, it was ingrained in you that you are so blessed being born in Texas, you know. And we would sing, the eyes of Texas are upon you, okay? The eyes of Texas are upon you. You have to sing it with that accent. And we'd go on trips to Colorado because there was nothing beautiful to see in Montana, really, or in, in Texas, or New Mexico. And we'd sing that song, and then people told us, You're getting, they're getting ready to hang you guys. Quit singing that. And a lot of Texas people, because of that attitude, that pride, it kind of gets on people, right? And so years ago, I saw the light. When I was a teenager, I moved to Montana with my folks, okay? I repented of my evil, okay? And Texas is still a part of me. I can't lose that accent. But there's something about Texas those people are proud of, yeah? They're proud of. Texas isn't a place. It's a, it's a place in here. It's not a landmass as much as it is something that's in here. Understand that. That's what it is about Texans. And I've got a lot of friends in Texas who wish they lived here, but that's where their home is, and that's where their family is. They don't live here. But they, they send me stuff about Texas. You know, Texas this, Texas that, because that's where their heart is. You know, how many Dallas Cowboys are there here, Dallas Cowboy fans? There's quite a few of us here. Yeah. How, many, how long has it been since we won a championship? I mean, Super Bowl 20 years? How can you, how can you be a fan of a team that loses so much? And none of us are fans of Jerry Jones. 
You know, Jerry Jones is, you know, that's, I heard, saw a thing the other day. It said, we hope Trump will buy the Dallas Cowboys to make Dallas great again or something, you know. But, uh, you know, Jerry Jones seems to be, and he's, he's, you know, he does, he's a businessman. He does great with all of that. I couldn't run it. We couldn't do it. But, you know, kind of the joke is, you know, and I tell people, I see they're Dallas people, and I say, hey, this year we're going to win. I'm a Dallas fan. This year we're going to win. All of our guys are going to get out of prison at the same time. And that's kind of what it is. It's crazy, isn't it? But when, you're, when you've got it in your heart, you just... And there was one sister here who was from, De- from Texas, and she switched to Denver. How can that be? But when it's in your heart, you can't... You, it's just... It is. It is what it is. And so, that's like the Sioux Indians, you know. We are the people. That's what Lakota is. We will stand together. We will fight to the end. That's who we are right there. This is our story. This is our heritage. And it's all about Jesus. That He died on the cross for us. And that's what it's all about. Jesus died on the cross for us. And so it's important to understand that He's standing between us in eternity. That He is the one... When Satan accuses our brothers day and night before God in Revelation 12, 10 and, uh, through 12 there, it says in the book of Revelation there that He's always accusing us. We need to see the dimension that this creature we're, we're dealing with. You know, we use sometimes the phrase, Satan is alive and well today. And yes, he is, but no, he isn't. Satan is a wounded beast. And when beasts are wounded, they fight harder than when they're just beasts. And you see in the, in the Bible that he, like in the book of Job, he comes before the throne of God and he makes accusations at God's people. Or the situation with Peter, when Peter was being tempted, and Jesus says, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. And if we think that we're just cruising in our own planet here in Montana and Satan's not bidding with God and talking to God about us, we're thinking really small because we're dealing with a God who created this world and we're dealing with a God who rules over the darkness. Oh, I should not say God. A demon who rules over the world of darkness who is bidding for our souls. And this is the interaction that God says. And so when Satan looks at Terry, he says, I know Terry blew it here, here, and here. He sinned here and here and here. But then God will say, No, He overcame by the blood of the Lamb. He's one of those who had washed His garments, Revelation chapter 7, the blood of the Lamb. I have been buried with Christ by baptism into His death. And I was raised to live a new life. And the life that I live is no longer mine, but it's His. And as long as I continue to walk in the light, 1 John chapter 1, His blood will continue to cleanse me. Will I make mistakes? I will. Will I fall again? I will. I will continue to get up. I pray. Until this game is over. And that's got to be the focus of all of us. That it's only in Jesus we have salvation. It's through His blood that we must be buried with baptism into His death. Moses would never have finished his trip if he wasn't circumcised. And we're not going to finish it if we're not baptized. And so it's an important step we have to take. We know Jesus Christ, Son of God. The word of their testimony. Do you believe Jesus Christ, Son of God? That was Peter was asked that question. And as a result of that, Jesus said, You are the Christ, Son of God. Jesus said, Blessed are you. That's not a word, that's not words that come from men.
that's the reality. Romans 10, that confession, Jesus is the Lord of your life. It's not words. He owns us. He owns us. And we'll pattern our lives according to what He wants us. And we do not love our lives so much as to shrink from death. We're not going to pull up. We're going to focus on it. We're going to go for it. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to be ashamed. I'm afraid I don't want to be embarrassed. You know, I don't like situations sometimes when I have to stand up and guys are talking rude and I just dismiss myself from the situation. I don't like that. It's hard. It's hard. I want to be the light. I want to be the right. And that's important that I do that. It's important that you do that. In any situation, we choose to be the light because we are a kingdom of priests that God has called us a higher calling. We're that kingdom of priests. We're the holy nation. We are the chosen people. And the last thing to note here is do not live beneath your, your, your privilege. Do not live beneath your privilege. And what we're saying there is because you are who you are and you're specially chosen by God and He's got an eternal plan for you and He's got plans down the years from now for you to do, hearts to touch, don't bail out. Don't bail out. Like Scott noted this morning, run the race. Fight the good fight. Remember who you are. It's not easy being a human. You know, I like being a human. Don't you? But boy, that spiritual battle sometimes gets pretty tough. And I'm not going to check out early. I'm going to play it out to the end because that's what he sent me to do. I've got a stepfather who's... Uh, who uh, he came into our family and he struggled in Christianity. And it's been some tough times over the years uh, dealing with him. And he's now dying of cancer. He's 91 years old. And uh, at 90, he was planning on being 100. And he thought, so no reason not to get there. And I'd go down to Oklahoma where he lives and we'd go to the fitness center and I'd tease him about, you need to take your shirt off behind, in front of the weight machine and do this and that. And he's a little guy like that and scrawny guy, but he was planning on living to 100. Now he's got cancer and he's not making it. But he is living out his last days in misery, but in style. He hurts bad. The pain is almost unbearable. But he's spending his time trying to influence the lady who's giving him care as to what's really important in life. And he's trying to influence his children from the past who were not and are not committed to the Lord to focus. And in my last trip down there to see him, he said, and it was, well, Terry, I'm not going to get out of this when I understand this. This is, this is the end of the road. And he said, would you do my funeral? And I said, sure, I'll do it. We talked about some of the things that you like to talk about, like when he was a quarterback in high school and the play was going this way and he threw the pass over there. And I think he handed it off and somebody else threw the pass to him and he got to make the touchdown. That was back when they didn't hardly pass. And this and that, he said, let's talk about that. And he said, and I want you to tell my children where I've gone and tell them that it's only in Jesus Christ we're going to get there. And the church is the most important vehicle that God has given us to be a part of Him, to serve one another and share with one another. Share, share with them who I am and where I'm going so they can really see that side of me. That's the legacy all of us need to live. Yeah, He missed a lot of joys that you guys get to live. Like Scott talked about, He missed, he missed that in a lot in His early life. Don't miss it in your life. You're at a time and place that you can 
not have to step in all those piles of manure and all those pits and all those holes. And you be the light in your community. You be the teenager in your family that when you leave home, they're glad you're leaving because it's time for you to fly, but they're sad you're leaving. I see so many teenagers when it's time for them to leave home, the mom and dad will back up and say, thank God they're gone because they were playing for themselves. It's not about us. It's about Him. And we have to say, we have to back up and just, and just get our heads and our hearts right. I remember I had a talk with my mother about that one time. It seemed like my mom and I were always at odds. And I said, Mom, we need to talk. And we had a talk when I was in junior high. And my mother and I got on the same page. And she was the greatest mom in the world. You may, have, you may need to have that talk with your parents. They're not going to be here very long. You know, do what's right. Say what's right. Respect them. And be someone who lives as a servant like Jesus was all of his life. That's the call that God has given us, right? The closing song has been selected. We certainly want to extend the invitation to anyone here. If you've not been baptized in Jesus Christ and you know what the story is, it's, it's, I don't know, I don't want to, it's a long ways home. It's a long ways home, and uh, it's a dangerous planet out there. If you know what's right and you know what to do, why don't you talk to some of the leaders of this church and, or talk to your teen leaders who brought you here, and you make sure you're right with the Lord. Don't put it off when you know where you need to go. And if you're playing both sides of the team and you're playing in the world and you're sleeping through the lessons and you're not engaged to this situation and you're saying, Lord, get me out of this, but you're not talking to our Lord, Turn it around before it's too late. Yeah. The trophy is yet to come. And let's not miss it. Let's go there together as God's people. Let's